Who wants, Daddy, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now, it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Everybody, welcome back to Java Chat. This is Coffee with Mike, and today I have another guest from like around the world. I've been getting a lot of international guests lately, and this wonderful woman here is no exception. She's she's out of the southern hemisphere, uh, a, a wonderful little place called Australia. Uh, her name is Anita Parr. Anita, thank you for join, joining us on Java Chat. Thank you, Michael, for having us today. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we have a lot of wonderful things to go through. So we'll start with the basics. Um, as we always do, we always ask our guests, you know, who are you? Where are you from? Um, how'd you get to where you're at today? Oh, very good. Uh, really good entry question, uh, Michael. So there's a bit of a story to that as well, even though I live. Uh, that's why I asked you on this. That's why I asked you on the podcast. I'm sure there's a story there somewhere. <laughs> Straight into it. Um, even though I work and live in uh, Melbourne, Australia since something like 17 years now, I'm actually originally from Austria. I had an Austria. Nice. For anyone uh, who uh, pictures Austria is like from where the hills are like, it's literally from where I'm from, right? So, like, you know where that hill, hill is? Yeah, <laughs> there's too many hills. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. No, but uh, if anyone knows the area, it's. Um, near Steyr, so which is sort of in the upper, sort of mid-upper north of Austria. Um, and yeah, grew up in Austria, typical family, um, you know, nothing special. My dad was a salesman, my mum was a kindergarten nurse. Um, and, you know, as I was growing up there, the question always was, you know, high school, not high school, finish school, what do you want to become? Do you want to work in the local shop? Maybe you want to become, you know, kindergarten nurse, just like your mum. And I thought, you know, that's maybe good for a summer job, but I can't imagine doing that for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, growing up in a family where no one really had university degrees or anything, no one ever encouraged me to go down that path. Yeah. And um, it was really, you know, in fact, it was something which was actually discouraged because you're the girl. Why would you want to waste your time going and study something? Why don't you, you know, become the nurse for the local doctor? And I'm like, you know, why would I want to become the nurse if I, want, if I, if, if I could become the doctor, right? right exactly. Uh, or, you know, do you want to become an air host? A friend of us was a pilot, you know, for Austrian Airlines. It's like, oh, you know, air hosts, you know, they travel the world and they have really good jobs. And I'm yeah. like... I'm more interested flying that plane and being in the back serving the people. So from a very early age, I knew that, you know, I, I'm a go-getter and I need to really go after my dreams. But what I didn't know back then was, you know, what the power of focus and determination actually can achieve in a person, mm -hmm. right? You kind of grow up with the family you're born in and then the, you know, surroundings just set in. And there's a lot of beliefs sort of being put on you of what you can and can't do about your abilities yeah so I mean long story short I you know finished high school of course and I did go to university of course against uh, everyone thinking you never go through university because you're simply not smart enough um, 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah, talk, yeah, about, yeah. talk about thanks for the faith, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, you know, why would you do it? You, you know, like, why would you waste your time with something like that? So um, <clears throat> anyhow, I, I did it. And as part of the journey, you know, I really discovered that, heck, you know, if you focus on something, it's amazing what you can actually achieve. Yeah. And if you really put your full, full willpower against something, you actually, you know, you're actually really good in what you do. And um, as part of that university journey, you know, we had the opportunity to go overseas for, you know, term to study somewhere else. And you know where the story is going. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, and uh, a few of us decided, oh, Australia would be awesome. And, you know, of course, my family said, why the hell would you want to go to Australia? Why don't you do, for God's sake, what everyone else does? Go to London. But go to Sweden, right? Why, yeah. Like Australia is like literally the other end of the of the world. That's good. Um, and uh, I said, well, no, I really, I really want to do this because I can go to London on the weekend. Why would I want to be there for half a year, right? Isn't there a um, bridge now too that you can just go underwater or something like that? Now they have some kind oh, of underground. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, and um, I go there for lunch. I'll be back next week. I'll be back after lunch, mom. The end of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You can visit me for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. So, I was like, What's the fun in that? It wasn't too exciting enough. No, yeah, I thought no. Australia is something a bit different. Yeah, and uh, anyhow, my family decided collectively. They were sitting me down over dinner one night and said, oh, oh. Like, "They decided I'm not going to Australia." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm so sorry, but I'm going to go." And um, yeah, anyhow, so I did another thing. You know, it kind of just happens. You know, you put your mind on something. They said, well, they would not financially support me. It's like, well, that's okay. I can do part-time jobs next to uni and save up and do it anyway, right? And I think, that, again, for me, the lesson learned as part of the journey was, you know, if you're determined, you find a way how to make it happen. Yeah. And, you, you know, you're not the result of the people around you or what happens to you. You're the result of your own actions. And you've got to take accountability for outcomes. I, I find that it's very interesting that the ones who claim to love us the most are the first ones to try to stop our dreams. And it's not, it's not done intentionally to hurt us. It's done because they don't want us to get hurt by the rest of the world at large. They think that, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't go. Maybe you should just go get a job. Okay, I can go get a job, but that's not where I'm going to stay. I have other aspirations. Oh, don't worry about your dreams. Don't worry about I remember when I was a kid, um, my teachers used to tell me, get your head out of the clouds. Get your head out of the clouds. You're never going to do that. And I look at them today, half of them are, are unfortunately no longer around because I'd like to go back and say, listen, I appreciate you telling me that, you know, I needed to keep my head out of the clouds, but look what's, a, look what's been achieved. Look where I'm at now. Look what I'm doing. I get to talk to people around the world. You know, I get to share their stories with everybody else. And I get to make some amazing connections with people. I make new friends in different countries every week. You know, back in the day, you even talked like that. You were sent to the funny farm. You know, in Hawaii, we called it the red roof. Um, because that's literally the state hospital. It's a red roof. <laughs> so they don't mean it. It just, they think they're helping. And at this point, it's like, You've now made the, you've made the means to get out there and get to Australia. You're there. Now what? 
Yeah, it's uh, super, super interesting. Um, very interesting debate. So we were we were kind of discussing a little bit on on the um, the shift. I mean, you you got to Australia. Um, there had to have been a culture shock. That's that's at least one part that I'm I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit about. But what what were some of the new challenges? I mean, you decided to move halfway around the globe. Um, kind of on, on your own, like literally your, your family just kind of went, well, you, you're going to go, it's, it's on you. It's like, wow, nice way to throw your kid out to the wolves. Um, you know, how was, what was that like? Yeah, look, um, certainly interesting, right? And a time of, uh, you know, a lot of self-learning and, and reflecting. And look, I never had a fallout with my family as such, you know, it was just Thank goodness. kind of views and <laughs> Thank goodness. And I think they had to accept that I'm stubborn and I'm going my way. And in the end of the day, I think they were still excited about me being so determined about my wants um, uh, <clears throat> and then and then just accept, accepting it. But you look, moving to Australia was interesting, right? Because, um, you know, I came over as a student first and then I came back to, to Austria and I came back to Australia because, of course, as a student, we had the time of our life and I met my now husband uh, who, uh, who, who kept me, bring, who kept me, kept me come back, uh, back <laughs> to Australia, of course. But uh, it was a big decision when I finally made made the move because you know it's a one way ticket with one suitcase and you know you literally travel to the other end of the world not not quite knowing what your future holds. But um, again, you know, it teaches you that focus and determination brings you a long way and being clear about you know the life you want to lead. Yeah, because no matter the circumstances, well may not be correct, right? I also acknowledge that I'm quite privileged having grown up in Austria and having a university degree and whatnot. There's people who don't have the privilege, yeah? But um, I think, you know, being, knowing your objectives and knowing, you know, where you want to go, what do you want to achieve, what type of life you want to have now in five years, in 10 years, in 30, 40 years when you're retired, right? Having that kind of vision makes decision-making and actions clearer. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And and that vision sometimes doesn't come with, you know, I don't know. I mean, you may have, you know, a certain idea of what kind of job you want to have or a certain idea about the type of lifestyle or materialistic thing you want to have. Yeah. <clears throat> Which, you know, kind of narrows down what decisions you want to make in life. And, you know, if you're disciplined and focused, you very likely are going to achieve what you set out to do. Absolutely. Set a target, shoot at it. And even if you don't hit the moon, sometimes you land somewhere among the stars. That's for sure. That's an old cliche. Um, so when you, you got there, you did your thing, you went home, you came back, where'd you start? Did you, did you just go into work or what did you, what did you do? Yeah, yeah, I was determined to find a job. So I did like speed, speed interviews. <laughs> And I was lucky enough to land my first job with Accenture in Australia, which is a well-known global consulting oh, yeah. business. They're all over the place. Um, yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. And um, yeah, look, it was interesting. And that's, again, set me up with a good professional network with like-minded people who are from everywhere in the world, ambitious, you know, driven, um, you know, worked incredibly hard during the time, like literally very, very, very hard where you know, friends again said, you know, why the heck are you doing this? <laughs> but I had this vision of achievement and I wanted to prove maybe to myself to, or others of, you know, I was on the track of, 
I wanted to get somewhere and I knew where I was, wasn't satisfying myself yet. You know? Right. Right. So I worked very hard and mm, I was lucky enough to very quickly shoot through the ranks, um, not in Accenture, but I kind of hopped around a bit sure. and, um, you know, I'd say what well, within six, seven, eight years, uh, I was leading a, a consulting team across APEC for a global technology business. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, it wasn't an easy, wasn't an easy <clears throat> ride, right? It never yeah. is. So you kind of get given those opportunities, which, you know, sometimes above your experience level, um, you got to grow fast. You got to, you know, work on yourself. You got to be disciplined. You got to learn from others. You got to take coaches and mentors um, and be inspired by the people around you who have the experience. I find, I find it very, um, rewarding to be able to again like i get to talk with different people um i come across some of the mentors um we had david Meltzer on on uh, java chat once we had uh, mark harris uh, sometimes these names are known sometimes they're not but these are all these are all people that are out there doing mentorship and sharing their story um there was a young lady i had who is an author and her name escapes me i'll have to i'll have to put it in uh, so that everybody knows who she is but she did a whole series on um, on Asian women who lead and man, you should see some of the people that she talks to it's it or talked to actually she interviewed it and put it in a book. Amazing, amazing to see what determination because every one of them determination is always an element in their plan. And it's always a part of their journey of their journey is nothing's going to stop me. It's just a setback. Um, and, which is another reminder guy by the name of Willie Jolly who's a motivational speaker, he's, he's always said, it's, it's, he kind of coined it, a setback is a setup for a comeback. And it doesn't matter what your setback may have been, it, it usually shows you another, another path. Like you, you mentioned, you, you didn't go straight up in, in, in Accenture, you moved around and you, you leveled up as you went around. Sometimes that's how it has to go. And there's nothing wrong with it because, hey, you're growing. It's not about the company's journey. They have their own objectives and goals. It's about your own journey. Where are you? What are you doing? Make sense? Yeah, 100%, you know, and, um, you know, you got to, I feel like, you know, the work environment is a bit like a chess game. you got to play your cards and, you know, wherever it works out, you know, that's where you move. And sometimes yeah. it's easier yeah. to move, you know, to other companies to accelerate that path or sometimes within a company the opportunities just line up and you have the right support and you know you shoot through the ranks Thank so you. I, I, I personally think there's no right or wrong answer to that it really depends on on, hmm. on where the opportunities open up for you truly um because it it proves itself in both models uh, and and continues to do so no matter what happens uh you you went through all of that you somewhere along the line gained enough experience where you are now in a different realm you're no longer corporate per se but you certainly work with them how did that all come about yeah look um very interesting question so for me entrepreneurship was always a thing since I, you know since i was young i've been growing business ideas. no we could never tell that that's the <laughs> And it's like, you know, you, but, you know, when, when you're younger, like I never was brave enough or had the means to really execute on some of those ideas. But then three or four or five years later, it's like, oh my God, that's exactly the idea I had. And look how well it's being executed now. I knew I should have done something about that five years ago. 
So um, long story short, um, I, I've been sticking to my guns. Uh, we, we've been, I've been working in consulting my entire career since uh, I kicked off in Australia 17 years ago and um, always focused on customer experience and digital marketing. Um, always was you know tech savvy and data data driven um, and you know today I'm I'm just amazed and you can see the passion come through now about what technology can do in this space the whole thing with blockchain and our AI and metaverse and oh, you yeah. know where's the whole thing with <clears throat> customer engagement going for large organizations and having having worked with global tech companies and having worked there with the product development team and and hearing their visions of where they they see tech going, I'm like I love working with companies on the other side, and help them on the journey to play a significant role in the experience economy. And you know you get to a point in your career where you got to make a decision. Like you, you, you reach those senior roles where you can go more senior and take bigger roles, you know, which is there's benefits in that. Or you say, well, actually, you know, I'd like to do my own thing now. I'm, I'm, I've learned everything there is to learn. Um, I, I'm a master in my in my you know skills, and I'd like to use that and package that up as a direct service to 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 the. Um, you know, to the environment or to the companies out there. And that's the path I've chosen. Absolutely. That's um, it's definitely the entrepreneur's path. Uh, when, yeah. you, when you look at it from the standpoint of, man, there's so many more people I could help. I should be out there doing more. It's kind of how we are. Um, it, it's kind of how you were too. You, you obviously had the bug very young. I mean, it was, you know, the determination and everything to go do something different rather than the status quo of what was expected. Um, yeah. This is this is just the entrepreneur journey. We go out, we challenge ourselves continuously. We're always looking for something better, but we're always looking to see who we can help. You know, where where can we solve a problem? Where can we increase for something? Um, which is phenomenal. So, <clears throat> fast forward to today, you have a consultancy, like you said. Said you've yeah. been in for seventeen years, and it's always been based just around the the techno technology as it improves a company. Is that correct? Yeah, always around customer experience technology. Yeah. So uh, 15 years ago, that was called that the CRM system, mm. you know, and sort of the single customer through the golden records and whatnot. But as time progresses, uh, you know, that more becomes a really holistic, omni-channel, real-time, personalized engagement with your customer at scale, right? right. Like if you are a telco, a, a bank, an airline, a, you know, a, a retailer, how do you engage with your customers? And for organizations, the whole debate then becomes, well, how do you monetize that engagement, right? How do you make sure you create a loyal customer base? How do you make sure that if someone buys a laptop online, you'll buy them the mouse and maybe the extension cord or the clip on light or camera, you know, like yeah, up, yeah, yeah. up and cross sell. And, you know, <clears throat> it's not only though the monetization part, which, you know, is interesting. Of course, that's the driver for organizations. But on the other side, as a user, as a consumer and customer, don't we enjoy if something just works? Don't we enjoy if, you know, you, you order something, buy something, you have good servers, your questions are answers, answered, you know, you, you see what you're looking for, the delivery is smoothless, and if there's a problem, it's been fixed fast. Right, yeah? right. That's, 
that's all the stuff. Yeah, it's it's part of the it's part of the well, they used to call it UX. Now it's now it's 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 always evolving. They're always coming up with well, some new name for it, but yeah, it it really does come down to the consumer being able to say, well, cool, that works like I expected it to. Oh, and it can do that kind of stuff too. That's cool too. We like that as well. That's excellent. Right on. Um, kind of companies that you work with, we'll talk more about uh, a little bit later. Um, what we do want to do is we want to take a short break, 30 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the things that Anita did to keep herself going. Because trust me, in the midst of a whole family telling you, yeah, you're on your own, as much as you're still friendly with them and you can have healthy debates, it can get frustrating. It can get a little bit wearing on you. So we'll be back in 30 seconds. And we're back here, Java Chat coffee with Mike sitting here with Anita Parr. We're talking a little bit about um, how she got to be um, a consultant, which is what she does now, dealing with the user experience. And when we first started talking about where she started, um, she already started running into walls. And that was literally just simply because people expected the status quo. Uh, and again, we talked about that, you know, sometimes they do it because they love you. They, they want to see if you're truly determined or maybe they just don't get it. Uh, thankfully, in your case, they really wanted to see if you were truly determined, that they, they wanted to see whether or not you were going to do it or not. Um, but in the midst of that, you know, you went to school and you went to college, you decided to go out and you did the thing in, in, in Australia and you went home and you came. Somewhere in all of this, as you're going through your journey, you meet people. Somebody had to have had some kind of effect on you that confirmed your determination was the right thing. Who were some of those people? Where did you meet them? Yeah, it's a, a very interesting question. <clears throat> and, um, you know, if, for me, that was always people I, I worked with. Right? Sure, so sure, sure. It's, you know, in, a, in, a, in an environment where you deal with a lot of people, you have, you know, senior operators, you seek out as mentors, um, people who believe in you, who, who see that spark in you and um, are willing to invest and coach you on the way. So, I've been very lucky. I've been working with, I'd say, maybe two or three absolutely outstanding leaders uh, over the years. Um, and those people are, how shall I say, um, they're top performers in their own right, right? They're thought leaders. They've been overachievers. They have, uh, have had a wealth of experience at the point when I was working with them. And, um, you know, those people you know, not at the same time, but one at a time, uh, help you, you know, with your self-development questions. Because as a leader, or as you set out, you know, doing your own thing, the, the question really boils down to you, who are you as a person, right? So you really got to understand how you, how you as a person work first before you can go and, and grow into any senior role, or before you can go and lead a team. I mean, and management and micromanagement is probably slightly different, but if you really want to accelerate into leadership role, the first question is, you know, uh, who are you as a person? What values and principles guide your decision making? Um, you know, why why do you want to you know go up that path and 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 aspire to that specific role? And uh, you know, what core values do you want to present? I mean, in today's world, there's so many leaders who fail to make decisions right well why is that are they scared to make the wrong decisions are they not clear <clears throat> about their decision making principles um you know uh, are they worried about the implication of making a decision or or of speaking up uh because they want to stand up for the right thing 
So I think the world, you know, needs more people who are clear on their values and their principles. So they are brave enough to make decisions, act or speak up when the time is right, because they disagree with something or they think there's a better way of doing things. And, you know, coming back to your question, you know, I had people around me who really worked with me to understand, um, you know, who I am as a person. And as part of the journey, I also hired a, a professional coach and mentor where we did, you know, amazing work together with the, the typical neuro-linguistic programming and visioneering and, and really analyzing all the trigger points, right? Like each person has trigger points. You may find yourself in super stressful situations where you suddenly, you know, the anxiety kicks in and you can't think clearly anymore or the workload is so overwhelming that the productivity levels go absolutely down the cellar, yeah? So in those situations, I think it's really, really, again, important to know yourself, right? Um, understand who you are and who you work, uh, how you work and unravel that. And it's often not easy to do that by yourself. So I can only encourage anyone who's in the journey at the moment, find help, right? And the help, you know, can be your manager, but doesn't have to be your manager, right? It can be an informal mentor. It can be a senior friend. It can be a private coach you pay, right? Who helps you overcome the hurdle to get you to the next step for you as a person, right? Because self-development never, ever stops. Doesn't matter how senior you are, how experienced you are and whatnot. There's always something, yeah? You can work on on yourself to get better or to be the better person. Absolutely. We, I actually have a couple of friends who are C-levels and even they, they're, they were always, they're always hiring coaches. They're always hiring other people to kind of take a look at what they're doing and how they're doing it. They're always looking to improve in some way, somehow. Um, who was it that just told me they had, uh, they had hired a coach um, just to teach them how to take time for themselves? Because, you know, they're highly stressed people. They have a lot of decisions to make. And they do have to decide stuff and they do know that they're not going to please everybody when they do it. It's going to, it's going to upset a good portion of people because they may not have the same values that my friend has. And he's like, I was definitely afraid of how many people I would hurt until he understood that it wasn't about hurting anybody. It was about making a stand for something, whatever that is, whether that's corporate policy or if it's something that he personally believes is his own values, he can't compromise his own values just because it's going to offend a whole bunch of people. He still has to stand by what he believes in. Um, that he did a couple times make a couple of choices that he realized were probably not quite for his values. He's also made a couple of choices where he may have been able to hold off and wait for certain things to settle. And this is all just corporate business stuff. Uh, had nothing to do with the stuff that's going on right now. Right now, is it's just a mess. I don't care what you do. Um, but the idea of it was that he began to learn more about how his decision-making process internally worked. Gave him a big epiphany and he's like, okay, now I understand why I feel this way when I have that kind of decision, when I'm confronted with that kind of decision. And it made it a lot easier for him. Now he's just like, I, I understand the process and I'm going to decide when it comes. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, not, that it, not that the decision doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's, you know, he no longer waits. He used to sit and contemplate. Um, and if anybody remembers the story of uh, Henry Ford, he was one of those guys that made decisions quickly and changed his mind very slowly. I mean, you really had to give him a lot of good reasons for him to go, okay, fine, we'll just, we'll do this instead. 
So, and it, it, it was one of the reasons for his great success. He just, he was solid in what he did. He researched what he did. He had all the smart people around him telling him what was going on. And then he made a choice. And as leaders, whether we're entrepreneurs or we're in the corporate structure, we have to be, you know, smart enough to say, okay, I need enough information because you don't want to become an overthinker. I need enough information to make a solid, informed decision. And then I need to decide because if I don't, I've got all these people behind me that are sitting there waiting on me. And it's only, it's only the servicing them. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Any, um, any books that you have read that, that got you on your journey as far as, especially in consulting? I mean, there's a ton of books. Have you read any good ones? Oh yeah, constantly reading, uh, Mike. And, you know, on the, on the topic, um, you know, there's just probably a few books uh, which I can mention. One uh, is The Five Second Rule, right? It talks about procrastination. I love that book. How, how procrastination just actually stops people from acting, yeah? And, you know, being clear about your values and your principles will allow you to make decisions faster. Yeah, because I think also not making a decision is a decision by itself. Yes, right? it is. You've, you've decided and, not to. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's definitely, you know, important to, to move forward. But, you know, other books, a, a really interesting one to ch change this slightly was um, a book I just read recently, which is called The Four Day Work Week. Oh, yeah. that's by Joe. Yeah, and no, uh, he's going to be on the podcast soon too. Excellent, I'm glad you read that. Oh, book. really? Is he? Yeah, oh, fantastic. So, I mean, I greatly enjoyed it because you know, COVID and working from home and not physically being in the office anymore to do the nine to five or eight to ten or whatever, whatever it was, <laughs> right? Hours people work, um, uh, is you know, really got me reflecting and say, well, you know, what is it? How how do I want to work? Yeah, how many hours do I want to work per week? And now that I've sort of left the corporate world, I can even ask myself more the question, right? So the whole question then become productivity. And, um, you know, how do you structure your day to get productive results? Because everyone's busy. You can always be busy, but busyness doesn't equal value and output. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that book really inspired me to reflect on... The, the structure of the day, the structure of the workload, um, how you create space to be in the zone to create high valuable outputs. Yeah. And I just realized that the book you're talking about is Tim Ferriss, not Joe. Joe wrote a new book called uh, Thursday's a New Friday. Oh, yeah. No, <clears> it was by New Zealand author. I can't recall the author's name anymore. I probably have it somewhere lying around here, but... Um, it's probably Tim. If it's, if it's for our anything, it's usually Tim Ferriss. And he's, yeah. and, his, and, and he's written a whole bunch of four-hour stuffs. Four-hour work week, four-hour body, four-hour this. It's, it's, they're all great books, and he's, he's got it down. It, it comes down to productivity, being the most productive you can be, and leveraging other things to keep that productivity moving when you have other things to do. So it definitely makes it where you have more choices, like you said, on where to be productive, when to be productive, and how to bring more value to the table. Gotcha. Had to correct that because I was thinking about it, and I looked, I looked over, and I was like, I don't think Joe's book is that. And I, I, his book's like sitting right there. <laughs> so, so I looked over, and I was like, no, four, that's not four-hour work. Oh, that's right. That's Tim. Sorry, Tim. If you're listening to this, please don't shoot me. Um, but yeah, it, it's still, that's, his is another one too. Uh, Joe's, Joe's got another book and 
when he gets on the podcast, he'll talk more. It's within the realm of that four-hour work week. It's like more of a four-day work week, which is, which is, again, it goes back to what you said. It's about productivity um, and the, the ability to improve to a point where you know I can get four or five hours worth of work done in two, then I can go do something else. Yeah, yeah, spot on, right? And, and the thing is, you know, it, again, it comes back to understanding yourself, right? When, what are the times of the day when you're most productive, right? How many hours of sleep do you need to be fully in the zone? Um, how do you create that space of full focus, right? Do you turn yep. off all your notifications, all your 15 different channels where you get pinged nowadays, yeah, at, at any time of the day? Um, how, how do you create that space? Right, and therefore, you know, how, how do you drive that valuable outcome? And then what times of the day do you use for socializing, for face-to-face -face meetings, for working through emails, for being, um, you know, reactive versus the proactive development of stuff? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, um, I, have a, I have a friend who actually sets time aside for reactive time. Like literally, it's like yeah. I, got, I got two hours, a couple days a week for unexpected meetings. I was like, okay, that's an, that's an expecting the unexpected. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting status to be in. He's like, well, considering the business that I'm in, there's a lot of unexpected. So I usually try to keep a couple of hours open for that. I was like, yeah. that's cool. I'd never heard of that one before. Yeah, yeah, and then that's spot on, right? And I think, again, that comes back to, you know, the, the, the management or, or how do you manage your inbox, right? A simple, practical and tactical tools. I think anyone who, you know, gets busy with whatever needs to self-invest, you know, if you have a challenge, there's always a, a solution to whatever problem you have. Like someone has had the same situation before and surely someone has figured out a good way of how to manage a certain situation. And I'm a big believer in, in you know, product, you know, own personal productivity. And, you know, it even goes so far that you can say, well, you know, where do you schedule or plan the time for self-development? Yeah. Every, right? every, every expert, every guru says you got to set some time aside for it. Yeah. Or for sports, right? Mm -hmm. If you know you're in a high-performing environment, we all know if you don't look after yourself, eventually your productivity will go down, mm -hmm. right? So where do you find the time to do sports? And coming back to books, right? I've read another really good one, which is called, I think it's called the 5 a.m. Club. Oh, nice. And there's a whole movement out there about, you know, getting up really early in the morning and doing all those things before the day actually starts. So the whole idea is you get up at five, you know, you take the time to maybe meditate. You take the time to read... 15 minutes or 30 minutes in your book or, or maybe three minutes but you do it daily right you take the time to do your sports so maybe catch up on the news and then you have your morning coffee and then the family gets up and you have already done all of those things yeah before the day actually kicks off um so it's about being organized and being a, you know making conscious decisions of driving the outcome of your own destiny that's Awesome. I'm a, I, I was writing down the name of the, the book. I'm going to go see if I can go find that because I'm, I'm a 5 a.m. -er. Sometimes I'm a 4.30 a.m. -er. I don't know why I do that to myself. Oh, wow. But yeah, it's, it, it, but it, it's true. 5 a.m., you know, my son doesn't get up until probably 8 o'clock. So I've got like almost three hours to go do stuff. And literally it's check all, of the, check all of the communications, check all the platforms, make sure everybody's getting all of their posts out, make sure all of the, the you know, whoever's managing the social gets the social out. I do mine's. You know, it, by the time it's like 6.30, 
I've gotten probably about two hours worth of work done already. And then seven o'clock rolls around. I'm either just finishing some sandbag workouts and then I come outside and have some coffee, sit down and chill out for a while. And usually first appointment somewhere around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. So I still got all that time to sit and reflect, try to figure out what I'm going to be doing next. So, I mean, even after this, I've got, I've got more stuff to do until five o'clock. And then after five o'clock, it's me and my boy. Cause that's our time. So it's, it's, it, it really does matter. It's really good. That's awesome. Five, the 5 a.m. club, the four hour work week. Uh, we'll have those, we'll have those links down in the, the uh, comments here in a minute. Guys, we're going to take one more 30 second break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about consulting uh, and what Anita actually does. All right. Be back in 30. And we're back. Java chat sitting here, coffee with Mike, with Anita Parr. And we've been having a good chat this whole time. And we we're just talking on the break. It's like, that's how fast this thing goes. It's like, we're almost done. Like, yeah, pretty much. We're almost done. It's, it goes that quickly. Uh, this one, we get to talk a little bit more about um, Anita's company and what she does. Now, she is a consultant and she works with a lot of, she works with a lot of different clients. Um, most, I, I want to say mostly in the tech industry. Am, am, I, am I fairly in the realm on that one? Yes, spot on, Mike. So uh, it's always been around technology and, um, you know, sort of various applications which are out there. What kinds of cool things have you got to consult on? Because being in the tech, obviously, we, in the beginning, you were talking about how some of the new stuff that's coming out. What are some of the fun things that you've come across so far? Well, you know, so I work in customer experience. And I think, you know, what really excites me most is, I guess, the data side of things. Yeah. And with data, I'm just amazed like literally uh, all the time about how much data organizations can actually capture about everyone yeah and I have you know friends who are still worried about Facebook and putting something on Facebook but it's like you know what like I personally don't even worry about Facebook because no matter what you do the data is collected right oh yeah, oh, yeah. so for example to give you an idea we've been talking to an organization who uh, they capture data on people's mobile phones and based on the apps you download, they are tracking, you know, a bit, a app, app user behavior and app sort of uh, content behavior. And based on that, they can profile, you know, specific attributes across every single person who, you know, you may not even know that that stuff is happening in the background, right? Right. Um, so, so the question for me then becomes more an ethical one, right? Uh, organizations have, and it's, you know, not only the, the tech companies, it's also the banks, the retailers, the Googles, you know, yep. the Facebooks, yep. of course, you know, yep. I mean, everyone collects data. Data yep. is the currency in the digital world. So the question becomes, you know, it's, it's what's the ethical use of the data? And we often work with, you know, CMOs of large organizations who, you know, we have to debate on, okay, well, we have all the data about our customers and how can we use that to go and advertise and communicate with them? But it's not the question, can I use the data? It's more the question, well, what of the data have, should I actually use? Yeah. Right, right. From, from geotagging to, you know, down to about a thousand attributes of who you are, what you like, what you don't like, you know, um, hobbies, interests, you know, just simple browsing behavior online and the kind of news you follow, um, you know, it's all out there, you know, and it doesn't really matter which channel you use to do that. I don't think people re really understand just how, just how much is actually collected on them. 
um, <clears throat> it becomes really big brother-ish, if you will. Because um, when I started uh, study, studying identity resolution mm. and understanding how data is collected mm -hmm. and stored, at first I was like, <clears throat> well, this is, this is kind of unnerving how much they actually know about what I do online. And when I found out that, okay, yes, the machines know, Sometimes the companies know, bigger companies definitely collect information on you because you go to their store, either online or in person, they know what you bought. They know how often you bought. They know, you know, what your preferences are. I mean, geez, Sears was really good at that in the day when they were really thriving. I mean, they had sections, they had sectioned out their, their uh, customers into, you know, S1, S2, S3 likes to buy this stuff. And T1 likes to buy that stuff. And here's the majority of everybody else that buys this stuff. And I looked at that and I was like, this was back in the 90s, by the way, that I saw that. So that's, that's like old style data collection. Can't imagine what they got now, a lot. And the, the ethical question, as you mentioned, of most CMOs these days, who now have become very important uh, to corporations. Um, not so long ago, they were the first ones that got chopped if, if revenues were down. Now they're like the last, because they have so much more, um, companies have invested so much more into, like you said, the customer experience. And the CMOs know this stuff. They know it very well. <clears throat> uh, as, you, as you've done that, you're working with these companies. What kind of trends are you seeing? Like what, what are some of the things that you see going on in the consumer market um, as it applies to some of the companies that you work with? Yeah, look, I mean, the, I think in principle, organizations are aware, very aware of what they can and can't do with the data they collect and what they should and shouldn't do with the data they collect. So I think there's a great sense of corporate responsibility out there. Awesome. That's um, good to I, hear. I don't think there's any single organization or tech platform, you know, which, you know, you can point a finger on and say, well, they are the, the bad ones and they are collecting all the data. I think like, you know, we, we are in a data time age, right? It's all digital. It's just where technology goes, yep. you know? And I think everyone is collecting data about their customers, you know, whatever that, that, that level of detail is. So it's not something which can be stopped, I believe. Um, what I see is really, a, I guess, healthy and mature debate about the, the use of data. So it benefits the people and it benefits, of course, the organizations as well, but in the right way, right? So I don't think any of the organizations I've ever been working with have done anything creepy or have anyhow abused the data that we have had access to, yeah? So I think there was always a great level of, of responsibility there and really doing the right thing. And, you know, nowadays there's also a lot of legal, you know, legal rules across the globe of what organizations can and can't do. So, you know... <laughs> I mean, that obviously also is a, is a, is a big component in, in, in the use of data and the security of data. Yeah, that's the, the whole GDPR thing had a lot of people in the U.S. completely confused because it's not just that, yeah. but each, each uh, nation state also had other rules on top of that. So yeah. like literally when we were, we, we were talking with a company that wanted to market in certain countries in Europe, and we asked them, why only them? Why not everybody? And they said, did you see the rule changes lately? So I know there's GDPR and there's that. And it's like, yeah, those countries are the ones that have the least rules. Everybody else has been racking and stacking them. And we don't want to get in trouble. 
And I did a little bit of research, not a ton, but the moment I got into the rules and regulations on a couple of them, I was like, I get it. I wouldn't want to advertise there either. <laughs> you get, yeah, you get no, superly scrutinized these days. It's really heavy. And, and rightfully so. There's some bad actors out there. We all know about yeah, them. Yeah. They're the ones that the rules are created for. Uh, makes it harder on, on those of us. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, spot on right, Michael. And I think, you know, where it's going with the corporate world is really the more, you know, standing back around the entry-end experience economy, right? So th I think still a lot of organizations have challenges with, you know, broken, you know, siloed data, disconnected channel, you know, even though the talk is out there about the omnichannel personalized experience, Realities a lot of organizations are struggling to execute still on it. Unless you are, you know, a startup and you can start from scratch and set everything <clears> up from the get-go to, to enable that, you know, any organization who's older than 10 or 15 years would struggle because they have the legacy history of data and technology and it's a constant catch-up, yeah? So you may think you've done something three years ago and you've done this major business transformation to enable that, but the technology is always evolving, right? Everything is in the cloud. New functions and features and abilities are constantly dropped. Um, you know, so it's always this catch-up. It's always this catch-up mode. And the consumers, specifically with COVID, consumers' expectations have changed dramatically, right? So they, they expect a lot. The tolerance for errors is really low. The switching barriers is really low, no matter what kind of industry you're in. And as an organization, you're compared to, you know, the top experience organizations out there. It doesn't matter whether you're a utility business, you've been compared with the Uber, right? Yep. Well, with the Netflix, yeah? Yep. Of the yep. personalized, easy-to-use things. So you're not being compared with other utilities businesses. You're just being seen as a business hard to deal with. And why are you not as easy as those ones over there? Yeah. You know? <clears throat> yep. So... What does Kite Consulting do specifically? Is that what you consult on? Is how to get them to that point to where they can be compared to Netflix, where people can say, hey, you know, they might be a utility, but geez, you know, it's as easy to deal with them as it is Uber. Is that kind of what you do? Yeah, pretty much. So we look at customer experience from a holistic point of view for usually mid to large scale organizations. And you know, customer experience is like omnichannel. It's sales, service, marketing, web, app, in-store. Um, so you name it, right? So it's the analysis around the customer journey and looking into the organization to see, you know, to analyze the processes, the tech, the data, the, you know, the, the, the people, right? Do the yeah. people have a customer-centric mindset? For example, as an airline, right, you may have the best tech, but if the air hostie or the check-in person on the ground is rude to you because they don't care about you as a person and you want to swap a seat or have a special request, the whole experience may be broken. So we help organizations really understand customer experience from a holistic point of view. We use a very specific uh, assessment model and framework, what we use to drill down in all of those elements. Yeah and really show where the gaps are in organization. And then we bring it back up and work with the leadership team on, an, on a plan forward, yeah? Because often the senior executives might think, oh, well, we've just invested, I don't know how many million in a CX system or in the master data system. But then they realize, well, out of the millions of records they have in their database, 
you know, 80% are actually out of date and old or redundant. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. sometimes, you know, the executive team doesn't really know where the problems actually are. And it's an always changing and evolving field. So one of the things we do very well is analyze it, you know, strip it down, pull it back up, and then work with the executive team on having a plan forward of how they can best close the gap and where the problems actually are. Smoking. That's yeah. exactly what a consulting firm should do. That's awesome. Quick, yeah. um, where can people find you online? Oh, well, we have a huge presence on LinkedIn. Um, so LinkedIn is, I'd say, our main interaction channel for the corporate world with our tech, you know, Kite Consulting uh, is our LinkedIn, LinkedIn channel. And Kite is with Q-Y-T-E, just to be clear. Um, so we do also weekly live videos where we discuss sort of exactly those topics, customer experience across industries for whether it's for local councils, for higher education, for retailers, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of debates going on. What we do as well. So anyone interested, please dial in and follow us. And of course, we also have a website, kiteconsulting.com.au. Um, that's I'd say that's our key channels. Please Sweet. Get in touch. Awesome. So, for those watching and those who are listening. Oh, my allergies today. Goodness. <laughs> oh, my listeners know that I deal with this a lot. For those that are watching, down below, you'll see the links. You'll see the book titles too as well. Make sure you follow them. Make sure you reach out to them. If you're a senior exec or even a mid-level exec, and you see that there might be some issues uh, with your customer experience or your omni-channel marketing, get a hold of them. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a, a conversation to be had. Don't forget, subscribe, hit the bell, so you know when we get another great guest like, like Anita here. If you're listening on Anchor or any of the other platforms that we, that a podcast broadcasts on, like Spotify, etc., download or subscribe. Um, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a review. Biggest one, make sure you share it with somebody because somebody out there could use the information on these on this podcast. These are these are people that have been there, done that, and they are sharing their wisdom. Might as well share it with your colleagues as well. Above and beyond all, <clears throat> we really thank you for making the time and taking the time to come and listen to us or watch us here on YouTube. Make sure you take care of each other and take care of yourselves. So stay up, stay safe. Stay healthy and live. For myself, Coffee with Mike and Anita Parr. Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.